Amen. All right, well, we're there in Joshua chapter number 22. I'd like you to keep your place there and go with me just real quickly to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter number 32. So keep your place in Joshua chapter 22 and go with me to Numbers chapter 32. So you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And I want to just read a few verses from Numbers uh, to be able to kind of give you the context to the story that we're jumping into. We are back in our series, Developing People Skills, and we've been learning about different conflicts in Scripture and how they could have been avoided or resolved or what actions should have been taken to be able to deal with those. And in the story, uh, there, there's, there's a lot to the background of the stories. Some of you may be aware of it, some of you not. So I want to just take a moment to kind of show you that. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to show you the context and I'm going to take you through the story and uh, take you enough through the story for you to understand what's going on. And then I'd like you to give you six quick statements this morning in regards to uh, the conflict in this story, this great misunderstanding between the children of Israel and the, and the two and a half tribes uh, on the other side of the Jordan. Now, if you're there in Numbers 32, I want you to notice uh, this, the events taking place in Numbers 32 is our events taking place before the children of Israel go into the promised land. It's about seven years before the passage that we read in Joshua uh, 22. Notice what the Bible says, Numbers 32, verse 1. Now, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle, And when they saw the land of Jazer, the land of Gilead, that, behold, the place was a place for cattle, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and unto Eleazar the priest and unto the princes of the congregation, saying, uh, Adaroth and Dibon and Jazer and Nimrah and Heshbon and Elielah and Shebam and Nebo and Beam, even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle, and thy servants have cattle. So I want you to understand what's going on here. Before the children of Israel entered into the promised land and the official conquest quest of the promised land began when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness there were several battles that they did fight and they had won during those years of wandering and they had acquired and possessed some land now they had not yet conquered the land but they had some land and the, what's happening in the story is that the Reubenites the tribe of Reuben the tribe of Gad is coming they're coming to Moses and they're basically saying hey the land that has already been conquered on this side before we cross the Jordan River with Joshua, the land that has already been uh, 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 possessed is a land good for cattle. And they said, we have cattle. And uh, basically, they put a proposition out there, notice verse 4, even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel, it is a land for cattle, and thy servants have cattle. Wherefore said they, if we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession, and bring us not over Jordan. So this is what they're saying. They're saying, we don't want to possess the land over on the, on, on the other side of Jordan. We want to stay on this side of Jordan. Could we just possess this land? Could this be the land that's given to our tribes? Notice how Moses responds. Verse 6, And Moses said unto the children of Gad, and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war? And shall ye sit here? And wherefore discourage ye the hearts of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them? So Moses thinks that what they're asking is they want to stay on this side of Jordan and not go over into Canaan land and basically leave the children of Israel to fight their own battles without them. And I'm not going to take the time to go through this whole story. Skip down to verse number 16 uh, for sake of time, but notice what it says in Numbers 32, 16. And they came near unto him and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our cattle and cities for our little ones, but we ourselves will go ready armed before 
before the children of Israel until we have brought them unto their place and our little ones shall dwell in the fenced cities because of the inhabitants of the land. So here's what they're saying. We're going to build cities and sheepfolds. We're going to build farms. We're going to leave our children here with enough men here, our wives here, and, and enough men here to protect them. We'll leave our families here and then the men will go over ready armed with you into the promised land and help you conquer the land. Notice verse 18. We will not return unto our houses until the children of Israel have inherited every man his inheritance for we will not inherit with them on yonder side Jordan for or forward because our inheritance has fallen to us on this side Jordan eastward so they're saying we're going to go with you we're going to help you conquer the land but when it's all said and done we're going to come back on the east of Jordan because we will not inherit with them on yonder side Jordan and notice verse 20 and Moses said unto them if you will do this thing if you will go armed before the Lord to war and will go uh, and, and will go all of you armed over Jordan before the Lord until he had driven out the enemies from before him, and the land be subdued before the Lord. Notice what he says. Then afterward ye shall return, and be guiltless before the Lord, and before Israel. So Moses is agreeing to this. He's saying, if you send your men with us, you help us conquer the land on the other side, then when it's all done, and that will be seven years from now, uh, he says, then you can go back, you will not be guiltless, but you'll be guiltless before the Lord and before Israel, and this land shall be your possession. Referring to the land on the east of Jordan before the Lord. Notice verse 23. But if ye will not do so, and this is a famous verse that we often look at, and I'm not preaching about this, but it's interesting. He says, but if you will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord. And then he makes a famous statement. He says, and be sure your sin will find you out. And we often preach that verse. And don't misunderstand me. Any way you preach that verse is fine. There's no way to take that verse out of context because that's a true statement. Be sure your sin will find you out. But usually we preach it in regards to sins of commission. When we lie or when we steal or when we cheat or when uh, uh, we, we do things. Maybe you commit adultery or whatever it might be. And we'll say, hey, be sure your sin will find you out. And that's true. All of that is true. But it's interesting because the context is not a sin of commission, but it's a sin of omission. He's saying, if you don't do what you know you should do, if you don't go where you know you should go, he says, be sure your sin will find you out. It's an interesting uh, statement that he makes. Go back to Joshua 22. That's the context. Now we're going to fast forward seven years later. The land has been conquered. They've crossed over Jordan into the promised land. And the conquering years are basically done. There's still fights here and there that must take place. Of course, we go from the book of Joshua into the book of Judges, and you see all of that. But the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have basically fulfilled their commitment. I want you to notice, and I'm just going to go through the story with you, and I want you to notice several things. The first thing we see here is Joshua speaking to the children of Israel, uh, to, the, to the two tribes, Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, in Joshua 22 and verse 1. I want you to notice that Joshua first gives them a commendation. Notice what he says in verse 1. Then Joshua, that's their leader, Joshua called the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said unto them, Ye have kept all. Notice what he says. He's commending them, and he's commending them for their commitment. Notice what he says. Ye have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. He's telling them, hey, you committed to a certain task. You committed to a certain thing. And Joshua says, I now want to commend you because you kept your commitment. Notice, he not only commends them for their commitment, but he commends them for their companionship. Notice verse 3. He says, ye have not left your brethren. 
He said, you didn't quit on us halfway. He said, you didn't just quit on the service of God, on the things that you'd said you were going to do. You stayed, you stayed committed, but he said you were a good companion. He says, you have not left your brethren these many days until this day. Notice, he not only commends their commitment, and he not only commends their companionship, but he also commends their consistency. Notice verse 3, these many days unto this day, but I've kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And I'm not preaching about this this morning, but Joshua in some ways is a type or a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the name Jesus in the Old Testament would be translated as Joshua. You might find in the book of, uh, of Acts that the, there's a story in the book of Acts where it's referring to Joshua, the Old Testament Joshua, uh, leading the children of Israel into the promised land, but the name is translated Jesus because it's the, actually the same name. And Joshua is a picture or a type of Jesus. And listen to me, one day, just like Joshua at the end of the battle took these tribes and he says I want to commend you I want to commend you for your commitment and your companionship and your consistency listen to me one day our Joshua one day the captain of the of the Lord of the host one day the Lord Jesus Christ will stand and will commend us for our service if we're faithful and if we are committed, and if we don't quit halfway through, and if we stay with the people of God and don't leave them in the midst of a battle, and if we stay committed and consistent all of our days, don't you want to hear your Joshua say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? I mean, here you have Joshua giving them this commendation, and he's telling them, you did well. You said you did what you said you were going to do. You didn't quit with, on us halfway. But I want you to notice, not only do we see the commendation, but we see the compensation. Look at verse 4. And now the Lord your God hath given rest unto your brethren, as he promised them. Therefore, notice what he says, now return ye, and get you unto your tents, and unto the land of your possession, when it comes to their compensation, there's a destination. He says, I want you to go back to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. Notice what he says, on the other side, Jordan. You know what? What we do for God is not in vain. Tonight I'm preaching on the subject of forsaking all and following Christ. And let me tell you something. We don't just commit, and we don't just uh, stay consistent, and we don't just sacrifice and battle the Lord's battles for nothing. There not only is a commendation, but there is also a compensation, and our compensation has a destination as well. It's not the other side, Jordan, but it's the other side of uh, this world. It's in heaven. One day, he'll say, hey, return to your land, to your home, to the mansion that I prepared for you. He says there's a destination, but I want you to notice in verse 5, there's also an admonition. Now, notice what he says, and I want you to notice what he says, Joshua says to these people. He says, but take diligent heed. He says, I want you to pay close attention to this. He says, I don't want you to forget this. He says, but take diligent heed to do the commandment of the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you. Now notice what he says. He says, here's what I want you to do. To love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cleave unto him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, if you, you young preachers, you ought to just write that verse out. So that's a verse you can preach right there. What does God want you to do? He wants you to love. What does God want you to do? He wants you to walk. What does He want you to do? He wants you to keep. He wants you to cleave. He wants you to serve. Notice verse 6. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went unto their tents. He gives them an admonition, and here's what he's saying. Here's what he's telling them. He's saying the years of battle are over. The years of warring are done. 
He said, we are now entering into a time of peace. And during this time of peace, I want you to be diligent to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to cleave unto him, to serve him with all your heart. And here's what he's saying. And here's what I've noticed about Christianity. Usually during time of conflict, it's easy for us to get interested in the things of God. When the protesters show up, right? When the battle is hot, even in your own life, when your family is rising against you, when persecution comes, it's easy to want to serve God and love the Lord. But listen, during times of peace, when the battle is over, when the land has been conquered, we are still to love the Lord your God with all your heart. You are still to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to cleave unto, to serve him with all your heart. So he tells them of their destination and he tells them of their admonition. But notice he also gives them the reparation. Verse 7. Now to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses, notice what he says, had given possession in Bashan, but unto the other half thereof gave Joshua among their brethren on this side, Jordan westward. And when Joshua, notice, sent them away also unto their tent, then he blessed them. Notice verse 8. And he spake unto them, saying, Return with much riches unto your tents, and with very much cattle, with silver, and with gold, and with brass, and with iron, and with very much raiment. They, got, they received a compensation. They were paid for the work that they did. But I want you to notice what he says to them. He says, Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. See, here's the thing. Not everyone was able to go off to war. Not everyone was able to go fight the battles. Some people had to stay back. Some people had to stay back because they simply couldn't cross the Jordan. Some people had to stay back because they were young or maybe they were ladies or maybe they were, there was just some men that could have gone to war, but they had to stay back because somebody had to stay back and protect the children and protect the women. And here's what Joshua's telling them. Hey, remember that though you went out to battle and though you went out and won the, won the war and you're coming back with all this possession, he says, I want you to divide the spoil. And here's what he's telling them. We are all one team. We work together. And there are some that can't do what others do. You know, I always think it's funny, and, and, and I love it, and I'm not mad at anybody who does, but I always think it's funny when, when young guys and young ladies, you know, you got some 19-year-old or a 20-year-old, or you got some 24-year-old, and they got, they've got no kids, or they got one wife with no kids, or they've got no children, and they want to get up here and tell you, you need to be so away every day, you need to go so It's like, I'd like to see you when you got five kids. You know, I'd like to see you when you got seven kids. I'd like to see you when there's a little more responsibility. And I'm not mad at anybody that does that. I'm just telling you, realize that some people can't do the same as others, but we're all one team. We're all accomplishing the same thing. And he says, divide this point. Now listen to me. You, you're, you're single and you got nothing going on. There's no reason in the world why you can't go out soul winning four or five times a week. I used to go soul winning four or five times a week when I had no children. It was just me and my wife and I had nothing to do. I'm not attacking you. I'm thankful for it. But don't sit there and, and, and judge people. And look at some, you know, some, some of these ladies around here, they got five kids, they got four kids, they're homeschooling, their children. you're going to judge them because they go so, they, it's all they can do to get out on a Saturday morning. Don't judge that. Amen. Don't look down on them. Because God, because for whatever reason, God has given you more time or more whatever it might be. Hey, be careful, be careful to be sure you always see things. People want to say, well, I'm doing so more, better, more than these people. It's like, your, your children are grown. You're retired. Of course you're doing more. You know, it's like, what do you mean? Always be careful to try to see things from other people's perspective. Didn't we learn that in people's skills? I thought we dealt with that already. Look at verse 9. Not only do we see the commendation 
And not only do we see the compensation, but I'd like you to notice we also see construction. Look at verse 9. And the children of Reuben, and the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned and departed. So they're, go- they're going back home now. They've been at war for seven years. They've been away from their wives and away from their children. And they're heading back home. And the children of Israel, notice what it says, and departed from the children of Israel, notice these words, out of Shiloh. Now, that's important, and here's why. At this time, the tabernacle is in Shiloh. The tabernacle represents the presence of God. The tabernacle is where the sacrifices were brought to. The tabernacle is what we're learning about in the book of Leviticus on Wednesday night. The tabernacle is where the Ark of the Covenant is. The tabernacle is where you would meet with God, where you would bring sacrifices to God. And the Bible says that they departed from the children of Israel out of Shiloh. They're leaving where the presence of God or the tabernacle that represents the presence of God is, which is in the land of Canaan. Notice, to go unto the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, whereof they were possessed, according to the word of the Lord, by the hand of Moses, verse 10, and when they came unto the borders, when they came unto the borders of Jordan that are in the land of Canaan, why don't you notice they begin a construction project, and they begin to build this altar. And I want you to notice the priority of the altar. When they came unto the borders of Jordan, that are in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Nassim, notice what it says, built there an altar by Jordan, a great altar to see to. Now look, I don't know about you, I know this. When I was in the United States Air Force, I got deployed for four months in Qatar. And when I came back home, I wanted to see my wife. And I want to see my children. And I wasn't, you know, when, when I got off that plane at Travis Air Force Base, you know, uh, my wife was meeting, there, meeting me there or whatever, but, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't going to stop off at, at, you know, grab a snack at the, at the vending machine before I go see my wife. When, you're, when you've been separated from your family, especially in a deployed environment, you miss your family. And you can't tell me that these men did not miss their wives and did not miss their children and were not anxious to get back home. They've been gone for seven years. But I want you to notice there was a priority to this altar. Enough of a priority that they felt the need when they got to the border. They felt the need. Somebody said, hey guys, I know you want to get home and I know you want to see your wives and I know you want to see your children. But let's just stop for a minute. Let's just stop and build there." An altar. There was a priority to this altar. Not only was there a priority, but there was a purpose to the altar. Skip down to verse number 26, just real quickly. Number 26, I want you to notice the purpose of the altar. You say, what was the point of this altar? Joshua 22, verse 26. Therefore said we, let us now prepare to build us an altar. Now notice what they said. Not for burnt offerings or sacrifices. They said, we're not building an altar that we want to bring sacrifices to and burnt offerings to. That's the altar in Shiloh. That's the altar of the Lord. You say, well, what's the point? What's the purpose of the altar? Verse 27. But that it, that what? That the altar may be a witness between us and you and our generations after us. Now, here's what they're saying, because we fast forward in the story. They're now speaking to the children of Israel. They're telling them, here's why we built the altar. We built the altar that we might do the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings and with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings. Notice what this says at the end of verse 27, that your children, 
may not say to our children in time to come, ye have no part in the Lord. Here's what they were worried about. They realized that there was this Jordan River, this natural divide that was dividing them from the children of Israel. All of the tribes of Israel were on this side of Jordan. The tabernacle was in Shiloh on this side of Jordan. And they were going to cross the Jordan River. And what they did not want to happen was in time to come that the people on this side would look at the people on this side and say, you have nothing to do with us. You are not the children of the Lord. You're on that side. You're a different people. And they built this altar because they wanted this altar to serve as a witness that people on this side of Jordan could look to and people on this side of Jordan could look to. And it looked just like the altar in Shiloh and that it would be a testimony that these are one united nation serving the same God. It was a purpose of the altar and the purpose was such a priority that they even stopped. And took the time to build it. Even though they were all anxious to get home. And see their wives and see their children. See their family. Look at verse 10. Notice the practicality of the altar. We saw the priority of the altar. The purpose of the altar. Notice the practicality. Look at the last phrase of verse number 10. A great altar. A great altar. They built an altar that looked just like the altar back in Shiloh. But here's the difference. It was big. It was bigger. You say, why was it so big? It was a great altar. Here's why. To see two. They weren't hiding this. They wanted people to see it. They wanted people to look at it. They wanted, they wanted it to serve as a testimony for people to notice that the altar was there. So he saw the commendation and the compensation and the construction. I'd like you to notice, fourthly this morning, the conflict. And here's where the sermon really begins. There's a conflict I want to give you six statements this morning in regards to how to resolve this conflict. And the things that went wrong. Look at verse 11. And the children of Israel, I want you to notice this word. In fact, if you don't mind underlining your Bible, writing your Bible, I'd like you to write down, I'd like you to underline these words. Heard say. Heard say. And the children of Israel, notice, heard say. Now what's the present tense of heard say? Hear say. The children of Israel heard say. Behold. They heard a rumor. They saw something on Facebook. They got a text message. They heard say, behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh have built an altar over against the land of Canaan. They said, hey, did you hear? Did you hear that the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half tribe Manasseh, you know, when they were with us, they were acting like they were part of us and they were serving our God and they were serving and they were united. But as soon as they got over on the other side of Jordan, you know what I heard? I heard they built an altar, but not in Canaan, not in, in God's land. They, they did it over against the land of Canaan, the borders of Jordan on the past the children of Israel. Notice verse 12. And when the children of Israel heard of it. The whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered themselves together to Shiloh. Don't miss this. Notice to go up to war against them. You got the children. These people spent the last seven years fighting side by side. Fighting the Lord's battles. Together. I mean with one purpose. With one Lord going to fight the battles of God. But now the conflict is over. Now the protests are done. And what are they doing? They're turning on each other. And, they, and they're doing it based on what they heard say. 
if you'd like to write down these statements, I'd like you to write down these statements this morning if, if you don't mind, if you don't have a child sitting on your lap. When it comes to conflict, number one, we must learn to deal with issues. When dealing with issues, please listen to this. When dealing with issues, we must discipline ourselves to properly respond to issues, not simply react to hearsay. When dealing with issues, we must discipline ourselves to properly respond to issues, not simply react to hearsay. Today, this morning, we have 177 people in church this morning. Before the conference, we had like 172. Of course, we had 300 and some odd people here for the conference. That's not normal. This is our normal attendance, about 170 people in church on a Sunday morning. We fluctuate up and down depending on the summer. But this is about the size of our church, 160, 170, 175, something like that. You would be shocked. You would be shocked how many problems arise in a church of 170 people. If you don't believe me, ask Brother Sucky. Ask Brother Oliver. I mean, every week we're dealing with issues. Every week we're dealing with problems. And you know what I've learned in my mind and heart is when issues arise, when people come to me, I've learned, and I don't discount people, I love people, but usually I don't even move on an issue until there are maybe two or three times that that issue has came up. Doesn't the Bible say in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established? And listen to me, we need to be careful. We need to be careful when we hear something. We hear something and we don't understand it and we don't and we just say, well, why would they do that? I don't understand why they would do that. We need to be careful when dealing with issues. We must discipline ourselves to properly respond to issues, not simply react to hearsay. Number two, look at verse 12. Notice the last part of verse 12. To go up to war against them. They're getting ready to fight. They're getting ready to go to battle. And you know what I've noticed about Christians? When we, sometimes we get a little used to fighting, too used to fighting. Now look, I'm all for fighting. We have to earnestly contend for the faith. But sometimes when you've been fighting the Lord's battles, you just kind of don't really realize when it's time to take the gloves off. And sometimes we just kind of are in this fight mode. And we're just fighting everybody. And fighting anybody. And going against everybody. Even in our movement, I've noticed there are issues because people will go to churches that are lame churches, boring churches, with pastors that are preaching things that they shouldn't be preaching, and, and people are listening to good preaching online, and praise the Lord for it, and they, they get in this thing where they're fighting with their pastor, and they're fighting with their pastor, and they're fighting with their pastor, and then God finally moves in their heart to get up and move, or to commute, or to go to a good church, but you know what I've noticed as I've talked to the different pastors in our movement, and from my own experience, is that a lot of times those people get here, and they want to start fighting with us. And it's like, hey, we're on the same side. But it's not that they're bad people. They just got used to fighting. They just don't know how to stop fighting. And here, these people have been fighting side by side. The fight is over. But now they want to start fighting each other. To go up to war against them. Notice verse 13. And the children of Israel sent unto the children of Reuben, and to the children of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, and to the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest. Now look, Phinehas is a good man. Do you remember Phinehas? Who remembers Phinehas? What's Phinehas known for? Phinehas is known for what? Throwing the javelin, right? Remember when the children of Israel were in fornication? God sent the plague because of their fornication? Moses and his men are praying that God would stop the plague of the children of Israel and in front of Moses in the most disrespectful fashion. You've got a Hebrew with a Canaanitish woman going into a tent to commit fornication in the presence of Moses. 
mean, could you think of something more disrespectful? As the man of God is praying that God would stop the plague because of the fornication of the people, you've got one guy who just in blatantly before Moses goes into his tent to commit the such act. And Phineas, the Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord, the zeal came upon him. He said, I'm not going to put up with this. And the Bible tells us he goes into the tent and he throws the javelin and it goes through both of them. And you say, well, what did God think about that? It stopped the plague. Phineas was a good man. Phineas fought the battles of the Lord. Phineas had the power of God on his life. Phineas was a zealous man. And now we see Phineas, notice, the son of Eliezer, the priest, notice verse 14, and with him ten princes. Phineas was the hero. And with him ten princes, each of the chief of the, of, of, uh, uh, chief of the house of prince throughout all the tribes of Israel, and each one and head of the house of their fathers among the thousands of Israel. Notice verse 15. And they came unto the children of Reuben, and to the children of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, unto the land of Gilead. And they spake with them, saying, Notice what they said. Thus saith the whole congregation of the Lord. What trespass? Now, what's a trespass? That's a sin. The Bible tells us that the sin is the transgression or the trespassing of the Lord. They said, what trespass is this? Here's what they're saying. What did you guys get yourselves into? What kind of sin are you living in? What trespass is this that ye have committed against the God of Israel to, notice what they're saying, turn away this day from following the Lord and that ye have built an altar that ye might, don't miss this word, rebel this day against the Lord. Now look, Phineas is a good man and I like Phineas, but Phineas, how do you know that? How do you know that they've turned away this day from following the Lord? How do you know that they've rebelled this day against the Lord? How do you know that they're in sin, that they're backsliding? I said, number one, when dealing with issues, we must discipline ourselves to properly respond to issues and not simply react to hearsay. Number two, when dealing with issues, we must deal with problems without assigning motives. Listen to me very carefully. When dealing with issues, we must discipline ourselves to deal with problems without assigning motives. The truth of the matter is you don't know what that person is thinking. Say, well, I have a problem with somebody in church and they said something and I know why they said it. They said it because of this reason. Well, you don't really know that. You say, well, I know that they did this and I know that they did that and I know that they posted that link and I know that they put this uh, statement on Facebook. I know they did it. I know they did it for this reason. But listen to me, listen to me. You don't really know that. We, we need to be careful when dealing with issues to deal with the problem at hand and be careful about assigning motives. Phineas shows up, I know you guys are rebelling against the Lord. Really? What I heard say. Really? Number three. Look at verse 17. And the iniquity, is the iniquity of pure too little for us? Now he's bringing back their history. This is, this is where they had the plague, from which we are not cleansed until this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord. But that ye must turn away this day from following the Lord, and it will be seeing ye rebel today against the Lord, and tomorrow he will be wroth with the whole congregation of Israel. Notwithstanding, notice what he says, if the land of your possession be unclean, then pass ye over unto the land of possession. Lord, here's what they're saying. Here's what he's saying. Here's, I know what happened. Phineas is saying to them, I know what happened. You guys were fine as long as you were with us, but when you crossed the land and you started hanging out with those Canaanites, now you're turning into a heathen. And he's accusing them of that. 
And he says a nice thing. He says, says, uh, if the land of your possessions be a clean, then pass ye over unto the land of the possession of the Lord, wherein the Lord's tabernacle dwelleth, and take possession among us. He's saying, look, if you can't handle being on the east side of Jordan, you're already going into heresy, and you're already going into false worship, then why don't you just come on over this way? Look, his heart's in the right place. But he's making statements based on assumptions that have not been verified. And he says this, but rebel not against the Lord, nor rebel against us, building you an altar beside the altar of the Lord our God. And notice he, bring, he brought up the, the, the situation with Peor and the, and the plague, and now he brings back something else from history. He says, did not Achan, remember Achan? Achan, who caused them to lose the battle of Ai? Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing? And wrath fell on the congregation of Israel, and that man perished not alone in his iniquity? Here's statement number uh, three. When dealing with issues, we must not impose our prior experiences onto current conflicts. Please Please don't miss that. When dealing with issues, we must be careful not to superimpose or to impose prior experiences onto current conflicts. There are so many issues we deal with with church and it's like, well, what's going on here? Well, they said this and she said that and they did this and then and when you find out, you, you find out and people start telling you, well, the last time that somebody said that to me. And I remember seven years ago when, when, when this situation happened and it's like, hey, listen, listen to me. You want to be careful. You want to be careful when dealing with issues that you don't superimpose, that you don't impose Prior experiences on to current conflicts. When dealing with your children, be careful that you're not just constantly bringing up, well, last year when you, well, two years ago when you, well, I know because, hey, hey, just realize that new conflicts may come as a result of old experiences, but sometimes new conflicts are just that, new conflicts. And just because your teenager or your child or your husband or your wife or your employee or your fellow church member did something two years ago, there was an issue three years ago, there was an experience that, uh, several years ago, be careful not to filter every conflict through that prior experience. Because he's saying, well, back when Aiken, but here's the problem, these people aren't Aiken. Well, back with Peor, but here's the problem, this isn't Peor. And Phineas, you're a nice guy. And Phineas, I love your zeal. And Phineas, I think your heart's in the right place. But Phineas, be careful. Be careful when dealing with issues not to impose prior experiences onto current conflicts. You can't, te- you can't treat everybody's mom the way you treat your mom. Or think that everyone's mom is the same way that your mom was. Your mom may have been a terrible mom, but not everybody's mom is like that. And not every problem that a kid has with their mom is because of the same reasons that you had with your mom. Do you understand what I'm saying? We, we need to be careful. We need to be careful. As a pastor, I need to be, look, as a pastor, we get burnt a lot. We have people lie about us and try to steal church people away and accuse us falsely. And I have to be careful to make sure that I don't enter into new conflicts bringing in baggage from old conflicts. Well, the last time somebody said this, I know that what they were up to. We saw the conflict. I would like you to notice the clarification. Go to Joshua 22, look at verse 21. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and said unto the heads of the thousands of Israel, The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knoweth. And Israel he should know. 
If it be in rebellion or if it, if in transgression against the Lord. Here's what they're saying. If we were doing this because of rebellion, if we were doing this because of transgression, save us not this day. They're, they're going to clarify now the situation. Here's what they're saying. If you're right, Phineas, if we're in, uh, 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 worshiping false idols, if, if we're leaving the Lord, if we're rebelling as the Lord, he says, then save us not this day. Then bring your armies over and just kill us now. Notice verse 23. That we have built us an altar to turn from the falling of the Lord, or if to offer thereon burnt offerings or meat offerings, or if to offer peace offerings thereon, let the Lord himself require. Here's what he's saying. If you're right and we built this altar because we just want to, you know, separate from you and, and do sacrifices on this site, then you know what? Let God himself require from us. But then he says this in verse 24. And if we have not rather done it, and if we have not rather done it for fear of this thing? Here's what they're saying. The exact same thing you're accusing us is the exact same thing we were trying to avoid. You know, it's funny how often that happens in conflict. I'll preach a sermon trying to keep a certain problem from happening, and then I get accused of creating that problem by that same sermon. And I think to myself, what in the world? I'll preach a sermon because I'm trying to make sure, I'm trying to make sure that somebody can't pin me against a friend or against a fellow pastor. And then I preach that sermon and then the same people say, you preach that sermon so that people could attack me. It's like, that's what I was trying to avoid. Sometimes, sometimes good people disagree. Sometimes we take actions and people misunderstand. Sometimes you say, I want to build an altar so that no one can say that we have left the Lord. And people look at that altar and say, you see what those people did? They've left the Lord. When dealing with issues, we must realize that others may have different situations that call for different solutions. Do you realize that we're not all the same? Do you realize that we don't all come from the same backgrounds, the same cultures, and we don't all deal with the same situations? There is not a one-size-fits-all to every conflict and every resolution. And here they're telling the people, they're saying, look, you're accusing us of rebelling against the Lord, but we actually built this altar so that we would not rebel against the Lord. Notice verse 24. And if we have not rather done it for fear of this thing, saying, in time to come, your children might speak unto our children, saying, what have ye to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord hath made Jordan a border between us and you, ye children of Reuben and the children of God. Ye have no part in the Lord, so shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. They said, we didn't want in the future for your children to say, you're on that side of Jordan. You have nothing to do with us. You have nothing to do with the Lord. wanted them to see the altar and say those people serve the same God we serve and here's what you need to understand the children on the other side of Jordan the children on the west side of Jordan had no need to build an altar you know why they already had one they lived near Shiloh they had the tabernacle right there. People could look at it. People could see it. They would come to the sacrifice and say, this is the God that we serve. This is the Lord that we serve. But here's the thing. The children on the other side, Jordan, the, the tribe of Gad and Reuben, the half tribe, they had a different situation. They were separated by a big old river. They couldn't see the altar from where they lived, and they had a need to build an altar to remind them of the God they serve. And here's all I want you to understand. Here's all I want you to understand. When dealing with issues, we must realize that sometimes people have different situations that call for different solutions. 
Sometimes people have to do certain things in their context and in their culture or in their situation. They have to do certain things. And you would say, I would never do that. But you may have no need to do that. I I would never say that or I would never build that or I would never go down that road. Well, that's nice. You live in Shiloh. Good for you. They don't. When dealing with conflicts, we must realize that others may have different situations that call for different solutions. Number five, look at verse 26. Therefore we said, let us now prepare to build us an altar, not for burnt offerings nor sacrifices, but that it may be a witness between us and you and our generations after us, that we might do the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings and with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings, that your children may not say to our children in time to come, ye have no part in the Lord. Therefore said we, that it shall be when they should say to us or to our generations in time to come that we may say again, behold, the pattern of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offering, not for sacrifices, but it is a witness between us and you. God forbid that we should rebel against the Lord to turn this day from following the Lord, to build an altar for burnt offerings, for meat offerings, and for sacrifices beside the altar of the Lord, our God that is before this tabernacle. Here's what I want you to understand. Here's point number five. When dealing with issues, we must learn to communicate when our actions may be misunderstood. What I've noticed is that usually the problems with conflicts is a lack of communication. See, it would have been wise for the children of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh when they started building the tabernacle to see to the great tabernacle, not for burnt offering, but just to be able to look at it. It would have been wise for them to send a messenger back on the other side and say, hey, we want you to know we're building a tabernacle here. It's not a real tabernacle. It's just for show. It's just something for people to look at. It's just so that we can all be reminded of the God that we serve. And we just want you to know that we are not rebelling against the children, against you or, or the people of God or God. See, there was a lack of communication. So when dealing, oftentimes when I'm having to help people with their problems, whether it's marriage problems or parenting problems or, or, or church people problems, whatever it is, oftentimes when I try to think to myself, where is there a miscommunication here? Because what I've noticed with communicating is that sometimes I say something and I will assign the meanings and the thoughts and the impressions and the emotions that I put to those words. But when somebody receives those words, they don't put the meanings and, and, and emotion that I put to it. They put their own meanings and their own emotions. And we could be saying the exact same thing and hearing two different things altogether. And sometimes within conflict, the first thing we need to do is to define words. Well, what do you mean by When I say X, Y, and Z, here's what I mean. Oh, no, no, well, I thought you meant. See, when dealing with conflicts, we must be careful to communicate our actions, especially, especially when they may be misunderstood. Go down to verse number, go back to verse number 21. Let me give you the last one. We saw the commendation, the compensation, the construction, the conflict. We saw the clarification. We saw that when dealing with issues, we must discipline ourselves to properly respond to issues, not simply react to hearsay. We saw that when dealing with issues, we must deal with the problem without assigning motives. We learned that when dealing with issues, we must not impose our prior experiences on to current conflicts. We saw that when dealing with issues, we must realize that others may have different situations that call for different solutions, and we may not understand it, but we should seek to understand it. 
We learn that when dealing with issues, we must learn to communicate when our actions may be misunderstood. Here's number six. In, in this whole story, this huge misunderstanding, my, my favorite part of this story is verses 21 and 22. I'd like you to look at it. Joshua 22, verses 21 22. Then, then the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and said unto the heads of the thousands of Israel. Notice what they said. I love this. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. The Lord God of gods. The Lord God of gods. The Lord God of gods. Notice what it says. He knoweth, and Israel shall know, if it be in rebellion or if in transgression against the Lord. Save us not this day. He said, the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of God, he knoweth, he knoweth. He said, you don't know, you don't understand, you don't see it from my perspective, you don't see my situation, you don't see what I'm doing. Maybe I didn't communicate it properly. There's a conflict here and there's a misunderstanding. But here's what they said. Here's who does know and here's who always knows what's actually going on. It's God. Because there's two sides to every story. Usually when people come to me with a conflict, I, 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 I want to hear one person's side, then I try to hear the other person's side, and I just realize somewhere in the middle is the truth. Because we usually see things only from our perspective, right? Our vain brain. We usually only see things in our way. The way they hurt and affect us. And somewhere in the middle. But you know who's never confused? You know who never has to get the facts? You know, who, you know in heaven there's a scoreboard that always reads the right score. The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knoweth. And then he said this, and Israel he shall know. He's, and he said, you give us enough time to prove that we've not rebelled against the Lord. You'll see that this was not built to leave God, but to serve God. But he said, whether you see that or not, here's what God knows. Here's point number six. When dealing with issues, we must commit ourselves to what God knows and not to what others think. Sometimes there will be misunderstandings. And no matter how much you try to explain, no matter how much you try to clarify, no matter how much you try to say, no, that's not what I meant, and that's not, what I, that's not why I did that, and that's not the point that I was, I was actually trying to help, and, and I'm sorry that it turned out that way. No matter how much you clarify, some people will only ever see it from their perspective. They will never see it your way. They will never acknowledge it. They will never accept the apology. They will, never, they will always be mad, and it will be something they'll bring up to you seven years from now. They'll bring it up and say, well, remember when you did this? Remember when you did that? And listen to me. Listen to me. In the Christian life, you've got to get to the point where you realize and you are okay with the fact that God knows. God knows. God knows why I took that step. God knows why I made that decision. God knows why I preached that sermon. God knows. And maybe nobody else knows and maybe nobody else cares. But here's what I know. God knows. And you have to be okay with realizing that the Lord God of God, he knoweth. And even if no one else ever finds out, even if no one else ever acknowledges it, even if no one else ever gets on board, that's okay. When dealing with conflict, we must commit ourselves to what God knows and not to what others think. You know when we get ourselves into trouble? We get ourselves into trouble. And we have to retract and apologize and backpedal, we get ourselves into trouble when we start being overly concerned with what other people think about us. With what people, well, what they perceive. 
the Lord God, the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knoweth. When dealing with issues, we must commit ourselves to what God knows and not to what others think. Let's bow our heads and our word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for these stories in Scripture. Thank you for these examples and examples that you've given us to learn from. To see maybe where they messed up and to see where they did well. And Lord, help us to realize that if we're going to deal with people, if we're going to deal with people, there's going to be conflicts. There's no way of getting around it. If we want to reach people, there'll be conflicts. There'll be misunderstandings and miscommunication. And Father, I just pray that you would help us to enter into those conflicts with some wisdom and discernment. Not to react to hearsay. Not to assign motives. Not to fail in our communication. Lord, help us at the end of the day, no matter if the conflict is resolved or not, help us to commit ourselves to what you know. And sometimes we just have to not worry about what other people think. Father, I pray that you would help us to be people that seek to resolve conflicts. Lord, in our marriages and with our children, within church, in our employment. Lord, I pray you'd help us to seek to resolve, not to propel. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.